Amen. As you're being seated, if you would grab your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 3. We are in a two-part series uh, on church leadership as we're walking through the letter of 1 Timothy. Uh, Last week, we looked at the uh, qualifications for an elder in chapter 3. This week in the text, we see the qualifications for a deacon. And since there's some overlap there in the text concerning those qualifications, I want to do something a bit differently today. Uh, I want us to walk through the text. I want us to note the qualifications there uh, for a deacon. But I want us to spend the majority of our time this morning discussing how these biblical offices, elder and deacon, in the New Testament that we, that we see here in, in 1 Timothy 3, how they play out at Poplar Spring, how they function, how they work. Um, In other words, how do elders and deacons operate together, complement one another here in our local body, here at Poplar Spring, as we apply and live out what we see in 1 Timothy chapter 3? Now, before we jump into the text, I want to set up for us this discussion with a a hypothetical scenario. Um, Maybe this will help maybe to see the need for this conversation and this teaching in the local body. It's one thing to see it in Scripture and say, yeah, I agree to that, but then to understand there's, there's a need for us to see how this works out. Right? How this functions in the local body. And so this is a hypothetical scenario, uh, but I think it, it happens in many, if not even most, churches today where there's confusion about how these two offices, elder and deacon, uh, function together. So this hypothetical is a deacon's meeting. I'm going to give you a hypothetical deacon's meeting. This particular church in our hypothetical doesn't have a plurality of elders. They don't have more than one elder. They have one pastor who's on staff, a staff-paid pastor. And then for the sake of making this illustration a little easier to follow, let's just say they have two deacons, right? They have two deacons. Now, I promise this is not a riddle. There won't be a pop quiz. Uh, I'm just trying to make sure you're trekking with me. One pastor who's paid by the church and then two deacons. Um, Not an uncommon situation that you may find down the road from us at any of a number of churches. Uh, The deacons in this church have been assigned a list of names, households. And uh, and that list is made up of the members within the, the, the church, the body of Christ, those that have joined the church. And the task has been given to these two deacons to care for, to call, to check on, to visit, to minister to each of the families on their list, and to know where they're at spiritually. Many ch- churches call this sort of a deacon family ministry, right? You maybe have heard that sort of language used, that sort of approach. In addition, the deacons are also asked to care for the practical tasks that take place in the church, things like the finance team, uh, maybe they're to lead that, or the building and grounds team to take care of the church property, those sorts of things. Now, back to our hypothetical meeting. Uh, The deacons and the pastor come together and the pastor asked, uh, have you men contacted your families and uh, how are they doing? Are they walking closely with the Lord? For the sake of our example, let's say Deacon Doug chimes in first and he says, uh, you know, it's been six months since I've reached out and touched base with any of my families. So the answer is no, I've not done that this month. Um, Deacon Dave, on the other hand, the second deacon, checks in with his families weekly. And so when the pastor asks for the report, a checkup with the families, Deacon Dave wants to share. He can't wait to share how his families are doing on his list and and how they're growing and how they're walking with the Lord or where they maybe need prayer or how they're struggling. Deacon Doug, in contrast, he, he wants to skip this part of the meeting 
But he hasn't done that. And instead, he wants to update the pastor on, on the plumbing that he fixed this week. And uh, the, the three hours of meetings that he held with the finance team to work through next year's budget. And the, the two broken windows that he came to fix after he got off of work. And he sacrificed his evening with his family so that he could come and fix the windows and, and do those sorts of practical things. Here's the thing, church. Neither of these men are lazy. Neither of these men are serving in unbiblical ways. Both of these men love the Lord with all their hearts and they're actively serving Jesus in the local church. We just have a scenario in this hypothetical where one man, Deacon Dave, is functioning as an elder and the other man, Deacon Doug, is functioning as a deacon. Both are needed. Both of them are are given to us in Scripture and the function in Scripture. The offices are just being confused. They're being called something they're not. And here's the thing. Whichever voice is loudest in that meeting, whichever voice is most prominent or whichever guy has the biggest personality is how that deacon's meeting is going to go, how the the time is going to be spent. And so in, in many churches, families, precious saints of God are not being led and fed and shepherded and cared for because deacons are being asked to function as elders and the biblical roles are confused. Their jobs and their duties are are confused and conflated and mixed together because of tradition or habit or because it's just always the way we've done it. I'm thankful at Poplar Spring that we have the biblical offices, the distinctions of elder and deacon in place. But here's the thing, church. We often need to be reminded of how they function. If we don't, we may end up there too where we have these two sort of abstract ideas and we don't understand biblically who they're to be and how they're to function. And so... Let me uh, just say before we jump in, let me give you a little background, lay a little foundation for you before we get into the text. We're talking about this morning in the text, in in 1 Timothy 3, this idea of deacons. And so in the Greek, that word is diakonos. It it literally means servant or attendant or one who waits tables. Jesus uses this title of himself and when he he says in in Mark chapter 10, uh, but it shall not be among you. Whoever would be the great among you must be your servant, your diakonos. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And then he says this in verse 45, For even the Son of Man, talking about himself, came not to be served, deaconed, diakonos, that's the word again, but to serve, to diakonos, to serve, to deacon you, to give his life as a ransom for many, Mark 10 says. Paul uses the word of himself in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and in Romans chapter 11 by saying that he's a diakonos, a deacon, a servant of Christ. Paul says the same thing of Timothy in chapter 4 verse 6, literally that he's a good deacon, a good diakonos, a good servant of Christ Jesus. So in these cases, Jesus, Paul, Timothy are servants. The word is used, the Greek word diakonos is being used to describe their action. They're waiters of tables, they're servants, they're attendants. The word is also used in the New Testament to designate an office or a position in the church, in local church leadership. It's the same word, diakonos, and it's one of those times where the word describes the action. So like, you get this, fishermen, fish, divers, dive. You know what they do by what they're called, and that's a deacon. You know what he does by his title, what he's given, the diakonos, the deacon is a, he's the deacon, he's to serve. And so that's, that's what we see here. It's, it's not an office of, of power or political authority. It's an office where people humbly serve and wait on, attend the needs of other people. And so let's jump into the text real quick. Here's what we're going to see. I'm going to 
break this down in two ways. One, and you, you see the, the first question there on the screen for us. The question is sort of the point. Uh, what are the qualifications of a deacon in Scripture? We'll spend some time walking through those. Then we'll circle back and spend the majority of our time asking, how do they function at Poplar Spring? So you'll see that question in a moment. But let's first look at the text, 1 Timothy chapter 3. What are the qualifications of a deacon in Scripture? In other words, who are they to be? Now, you'll see these as we walk through the text. Number one, they should be elder-like. They should be elder-like. Look at verse 8. Hear the word of the Lord to you this morning, church. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. Now, the likewise there, the second word in verse 8, is showing us that like the elders that you just heard about last week, deacons follow suit. (laughs) Now, if you were not here last week, I gave you 11, 11 qualifications that should describe an elder and who he is to be. I'm not going to go through all of those again, but this likewise here, the second word, is pointing you back to last week. That's what they're to be like as well. Be like that. That's their character. Now, a lot can be garnered here about deacons from what's repeated, right? So Paul doesn't repeat everything he says about elders last week. He says likewise, and then he says some specific things in particular that are emphasized. He's saying them again because they're particularly important. The first note that you may observe here in this verse 8, though he says be like uh, elders, likewise, there's no requirement to teach here. We mentioned this last week. This was a requirement for the elder, specifically that he must be able to handle the word of God, to teach the word of God. This is telling us something about the two roles. Elders must be able to teach as they lead. Their authority as an elder is derived authority from Christ and his word. If you can't teach the word, then you can't lead because those things are connected. You at least can't lead biblically. On the other hand, deacons are serving. And the role of a deacon does not require him to be able to teach, to to be able to exercise that authority that only comes from Scripture. Now, praise God, at Poplar Spring, many of our deacons can teach. And they're great teachers. There's nothing wrong with a deacon that can teach. And in fact, everyone should exercise the gift that God has given him or her. And if it's to teach, let him teach, right? It's just not that he's required to teach as it was with an elder. Also note here in verse 8, the knots. Not like a Boy Scout knot. N-O-T, knot. In verse 8, there are a few of them. Not double-tongued. Means that he's the kind of guy who, who, who is never found saying one thing to one person and another thing to another person, talking out of both sides of his mouth, that he's not double tongued. He's the kind of man uh, whom Will Rogers described as not afraid to sell the family parrot to the town gossip, right? Some of you will get that on your ride home this, this afternoon. He's not a, he's not a man who, who's, who's common to double speak, he can be trusted because he's not double tongued. Second thing, our second one that we see here is he's he's not addicted to much wine. He's not greedy for dishonest gain. These show you that this guy is is not drunk on wine, nor is he drunk on money. Uh, He's sober in those ways. This is similar to what we saw with an elder last week. The language is a bit different, but the intention is the same. Uh, and then, uh, not going to, to go into a lot of further detail on these, because again, you can go online and listen to last week's and the further explanation that was given last week, but the, the point is here, and the reason I've labeled this first category, they are to be elder-like, is that these are elder-like characteristics and qualities that this man should hold, and uh, they're given to us and emphasized in these particular ways. The second one, second qualification from a deacon that we see in, in Scripture, is that they should have an informed faith. Look at verse 9. 
says they must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Though they're not required to teach the word, they must clearly know the word and know it well enough to hold to it, right? You see that in the text. The mystery of the faith, they're to hold on to and be committed to and be committed to holding on to at all costs. Now, don't let this word mystery confuse you here. And this could be a hold up for some. And Paul is not saying that the gospel is a mystery to them, that they're clueless about the gospel or confused about how that works out. In fact, he's making the opposite point. He's not saying that the mystery, uh, the gospel is a mystery for us today. Paul's using the word mystery here as something that was once hidden, but has now been revealed. It's come to light. It was a mystery, right? In the, in, the, in the Old Testament, it was a mystery how a holy God, righteous in every way, could pass over sins, right? And, and not judge a sinful people as he's holy and completely righteous. That mystery in the Old Testament has been solved in Christ. It's no longer a mystery. The gospel is the answer to that mystery. Jesus, the Son, would come and give his life once and for all. For sinful humanity, and, 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 and this is what a deacon must hold to. Th- this is the mystery, this is the truth, that truth of the gospel that Jesus died in the place of sinful man. That truth is what the deacon must hold to, he must cling to it. But notice that, it, that it's not only that he holds to it, but the, the verse continues. Verse 9 says that he holds to it with a clear conscience. That leads to our third qualification here, our, our third qualification that he should have a living faith. So not just an informed faith, not that, not that he just understands the scriptures and the mystery of the gospel and he understands the gospel and he can articulate the gospel, but that he holds to it with a clear conscience. That means that his comprehension, his understanding of the gospel, what he believes about Christ, it doesn't just under, uh, inform his understanding, it shapes his life. That, that, that the way he lives doesn't contradict, it doesn't come up against, it doesn't rub, and, and there's no tension between the way he lives and the thing that he proclaims that he believes, right? And there's, no, there's no contradiction. That's how you live with a clear conscience. It doesn't mean that you're perfect. No man is. No woman is. But that the way he lives, the character of this man supports this truth that he says he believes, that Jesus has died on his behalf, and that he's a new creature in Christ. His life says, yeah, that's true. So he holds it with a a clear conscience. So he has an informed faith. Uh, He has a living faith. Number four says that he should be tested. They should be tested. Verse 10 says this, And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. The reason testing is required of deacons, and it was not mentioned last week for elders, is because it's already assumed as required for elders, right? You see this in places like chapter 5, verse 22, where there's this, this, this alluding to this testing that's going to happen and should happen for leaders in the church. And then additionally, in chapter 5, verse 24, there's this warning for why testing is vitally important. This testing, like the purpose behind last week and the qualifications that were given and this week's text, the testing is a testing of their character, that their reputation uh, be evaluated, the, the, who they are as a, as a human, as a follower of Christ, be considered and tested and evaluated. It, it, it's sort of a, a pressure that's applied in this testing because we're, we're sort of like sponges. As humans, we're, we're like sponges. And when pressure is applied, just like with a sponge, you, you apply pressure and you see the liquid that comes out of it. You, you see what it was filled with. And in the same way, this testing is to, is to put a little pressure such that you would see what this, this, this person is filled with because the, the implication there is that testing is going to come. 
When you're serving in leadership, when you're a deacon or an elder, testing is going to come. Trials are going to come. Suffering is going to come. And as that tension squeezes on you, it's going to become really evident what fills that person's life. And so this testing does that on the front end. Ask these tough questions. Test this individual to see where are they at? Where are they? What are their convictions? Such that when trials come, when disunity arises in the body, what's going to come out of them? Is it going to be anger? Is it going to be an immaturity? Is it, is it going to be a lack of knowledge of the word and of the, 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 the commands of scripture and the commands of Christ? Or is this man going to be a, a man that proves faithful in those difficulties? There's a testing that is to be done. Number five, fifth qualification there. Their wives should have a, uh, the same reputation. Or rather, their wives, if they have one, should have the same reputation. Again, going back to last week, this, is not, this text is not saying that they must have one to be qualified. But that if they have one, their, lives should have, their wives should have the same reputation. Verse 11, look at it with me. It says, their wives likewise. There's that word again, likewise. Likewise, deacons, elders, likewise, wives, women, men, your husbands, be dignified. Not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Paul's telling Timothy here that uh, the, the wife, the, the person that is married to this person, should uh, have a respectability that matches his own. Right? The wife's qualifications are part of his qualifications. She's expected, she will be expected to, to walk with him in the, the duties of being a servant in the body. They're hers as well, and so her reputation is on the line as well. And, and this makes sense, right? This is just common sense at work in the text. The nature of marriage is on display here. Paul's saying something about uh, the, the nature of marriage where two become one. Two individuals become one flesh as they're united in a covenant before God. And, and as one, they serve in their body. And her reputation shouldn't impede him. And his reputation shouldn't impede her. They should complement one another. They have the same heart for ministry. They have the same love for the church. They have the same reputation as godly followers of Jesus. Both of them. Number six, sixth qualification. They, should, they the, the deacon, should lead in their home well. They should lead in their home well. Look at verse 12. It says, let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. Similar to the qualification with elders here, deacons must be a one-woman kind of man. That's literally what the text would say there, a one-woman man. And, uh, and, and, and as such, he leads as that man, as that husband, as that father in a way that's consistent with the demands of Scripture. Like last week, how in the world can this guy, this diakonos, this deacon, deacon, how can he serve the household of God if his household is out of order? If you can look at him and he's not leading his wife and kids, if he's not serving his wife and kids as a deacon in his home, why would you think he would do it in the, in the, in the body of Christ? And if he does, it's just a fake. It's just a, it's a facade. It's a mask. He's putting on a show at church to do it there because he's not doing it at home. So how does he lead? How does he lead his family? How does, how does he serve his wife and his kids? That's a qualification for a deacon, a deacon and an elder. And then number seven, our final one, as we look at the qualifications here, they, the deacons, should, should expect reward. This is verse 13. Look at the word of God with me. It says, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. For deacons that serve well, they should expect a twofold reward. A reward that's evidently uh, here in verse 13 before men and before God. This means that they'll have the respect and influence within their congregation. And that's a good thing, church. 
Hear me, hear me say this. When men like this, when men that live up to these qualifications, these guidelines that were given in 1 Timothy 3, when men like this have influence and respect in the church, it is a good thing because it means that men opposite of this are not having influence and respect in the church. They're being silenced by the reputation and the character of the men that are being called and, and, and used by God in these ways. That's a good thing. It's a good thing when the people of God hear and observe and see this kind of character as opposed to the opposite of it. And this also means that they'll have a confidence and a boldness in their faith that's in Christ. You notice that's the second part of this reward. An ever-deepening confidence. And, and hear, hear me carefully here. This is not a confidence in their good works or their abilities or their service or their ability to, to function as, as, as the waiters of tables. It's not that, oh, I did this well. Look at, at me and this confidence that I have in, in me. But it's a, it's a confidence in the drawing near to Christ. Right? They serve his bride. You, 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 want, to, you want to know how you, you, you gain Matt James's love and trust? Serve my wife well. Love my wife well. Honor my wife well. And, 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 and I am indebted to you. I, I'm thankful for you. And this is the idea that, that that's what they're doing for Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. Love her and, and shepherd her and care for her and serve her and wait upon her. And look what's happening. You're drawing near to Christ in that. That's a beautiful reward. That's an incredible reward that, that the deacon gains for himself when he does this well and, and right. Those are the qualifications for a deacon, what a deacon's required to be. Now let's move to our second big question and, and really where we'll spend the rest of our time. How do elders and deacons function then? If that's what they're to be, we heard last week what an elder is to be, this week what a deacon is to be, what do elders and deacons do? All right, so as we jump into this, I want, to, I want to bring you to a couple passages of Scripture because I want to show you these are not just arbitrary titles. And when we make up uh, the, the duties of what's to be done as an elder and a deacon, we're not just sitting down and going, oh, that seems like a deacon thing. That seems like an elder thing. We're going to just arbitrarily pick these categories. No, we're, we're seeing this in Scripture. And so I want to lead you to the text, the Bible, uh, in particular, Acts chapter 20. You can turn there with me if you'd like. We're going to read it. Acts 20, verses 27 through 31. And these are the marching orders, the duties of an elder. And listen closely, and listen as I read, particularly for function, for what they're doing, the action here. Acts 20, starting in verse 27. Paul says, under the inspiration of the Spirit, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all of the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw, the disciples after, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So really quickly, this is another whole sermon in itself. We'll hit these as quickly as we can. This summarizes for us what elders are to do and what they do in the local body here at Poplar Spring. So real quickly, they lead the sheep, right? Elders are entrusted to the church by Christ to lead his people. They are his, the people and the elders, <laughs> They are his under-shepherds, the elders, the pastors, the overseers, as the text just said, and they're serving the true shepherd, King Jesus. 
And what an elder does is he leads, says, hey, this is where we are. There's where we have to be. If we're going to follow the commands of Christ, if we're going to be a church that honors Christ, and here's how we're going to get there. And so follow us as we lead you, as we shepherd you to what God would have us embrace and do under the commands of Scripture by the help of His Spirit. So elders lead the sheep. Second, they care for the sheep. This is verse 28. It says to care for, to shepherd. Some of your translations may say shepherd there. To care for, shepherd the church of God. Now to care for someone, you must know someone, right? You must know who you're caring for. The command here in in verse 28 is not just for for pastors, elders, to care for people in just some general sense. Let's go out and find some people and care for them. Like certainly that's a good thing to do. We should love neighbor, but that's not what's being commanded here. It's to care for the church of God, which he says, the text we just read, that he obtained by his own blood. It's another whole topic in itself, but this is why church membership is so important. Why it's emphasized at Poplar Spring. That's why we talk about membership and have new starting point classes and, and walk people through covenanting together with the body of Christ because this body, these members, the people that make up Poplar Spring are who these elders are responsible for caring for, for shepherding, for leading. So care for the sheep. Lead the sheep, care for the sheep. Next one we see is to protect the sheep. This is verse 28. This is pay careful attention. Verse 29. Wolves will come. Verse 30, men will speak twisted things. Verse 31, be alert. You get the picture there. Every one of those in in, in 28, 29, 30, and 31, every one of those verses, Paul is saying the duty of an elder, a pastor, is to be on the lookout for spiritual health of the sheep. To be on guard against anything or anyone that would lead them astray. Literally, the metaphor of a shepherd here is all over this text because that's what a literal shepherd does for sheep. They watch out for wolves, for things that would come in and attack. That's what a pastor does. He protects the sheep. Your elders are there to to guard you, to to care for you in that way. Next one, we see nurture the sheep. This is verse 32. Verse 32, now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. There's so much here, even just in verse 32, but nurturing This idea that that elders are called to nurture the sheep may look like a lot of different things for different people. And where they're at in their journey with Christ and in their walk with Christ, it may look like counseling. It may look like admonishing. It may look like encouraging. It may look like exhorting. It may look like rebuking or correcting if, if there's sin and if there's wrong. Whatever it takes, though, for each member, the end is given to us in verse 32 as well. The end of that nurturing is sanctification. Those that are sanctified that you'd have an inheritance among them, that you're built up in the truth of God's word because you're being nurtured by shepherds, by elders who care for your soul. And then the last one, and I know we're hitting these quickly, feed the sheep. The the elder is to feed the sheep. Verse 27 is where Paul says this without mincing words. I did not shrink back. I didn't shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. I preached to you his word. Right? This was a qualification for an elder. That's that distinction we saw. An elder must be able to teach the word of God. Why? Because it's our authority. It's the authority that we all submit to. God's word alone is the power to build up the church, which means the elder's leadership is tied to that authority, to the word of God. If he wanders from the word, he's no longer fit to lead. If he begins just mixing, mixing words with worldly wisdom, he's not fit to lead. And so here's the thing, church. We don't follow elders and pastors because they have a position or a title. We follow them because they know the word, they teach the word, and they follow the word themselves. We see it in their lives. It's our authority. 
It's their qualification for being able to lead. So we feed the sheep. We feed them the word. That's what an elder must do. Lead the sheep, care for the sheep, protect the sheep, nurture the sheep, feed the sheep. Now, if you grew up in a church that didn't have elders, I'm using that word plural, then one of three things probably happened. One of three things. Either one, you probably had a paid staff pastor that did all of that by himself. God bless his soul. It's not impossible. I'm not even saying it's sinful or wrong. It's incredibly difficult. I can't imagine the weight of that. Um, but there are faithful men that do it. And, and so when I say God bless his soul, I'm not saying that sarcastically. God bless him because he's doing it faithfully and it's hard. Second, if you didn't have that, then you may have had deacons that did it. Like the example, the, the hypothetical that we started out with this morning, you may have had deacons that functioned as elders and they, they nurtured and they fed and they protected and they guarded and all these things that we just saw in Acts chapter 20, but they may or may not have been qualified to be elders. Or third, and this is probably the most heart, no, it is the most heartbreaking one, no one did it. No one did it. Like sheep without a shepherd because no one's functioning as an elder. And what a heartbreaking scenario, and it's the case in churches all over our, our nation. That there are men who are, are gifted and called to, to function in, in the tasks of the church, and they're doing it well. The pastor's so exhausted because he's trying to do it by himself, and there's no one nurturing, there's no one caring for, there's no one guarding your soul. Praise God for faithful elders. Now that leads us to, uh, well, how do they function here at Poplar Spring, and what does it look like? Well, I'm going to real quickly give you this. This is, this is really hands-on, practical for Poplar Spring, and, and so I, I pray this is helpful. Your elders have, uh, they get together, usually the first of every month, the first Saturday of every month. And each of your elders has a list of, of names, a list of families that have joined Poplar Spring, that have covenanted together to be a part of this body. And, and each elder is responsible for, tasked with knowing those families on their list and how they're doing spiritually. So here's what he's doing on, behalf, on your behalf. He's praying for you. Praying for you daily, weekly. He's touching base with you at least monthly, but probably more like weekly. Asking how you're doing. He's watching over your soul. Do you feel the weight of that? That's what it means for him to lead, to care for, to protect, to nurture, to feed you. He, he's walking with you as you journey towards Christ and sanctification. And so when we gather on the first Saturday of the month, it's often for two or three hours. And what we do is we start by taking one of those elder lists. It rotates every month so that we end up going through our entire, entire church membership. And family by family, line by line, I ask your elder to report on these questions. Where and how are they being discipled? Sunday school? Growth group, D group, how are they being fed? How are they being discipled? Now, I know right now in COVID, that's a little bit differently. And so we're asking some other questions like, have they returned to worship gatherings? And if not, why? Is it because there's genuine health concerns or is it because they've drifted spiritually? So we're asking those questions. We're asking, how is the family spiritually? All right. How is the, the husband and wife, if they're a couple and, and they're married, how is their marriage doing? Are there physical or material needs in their life? So those are the questions we're asking each, each line, each family, uh, to, to, each elder to report on each family. And then we pray for you. Every individual in this church is prayed for. Every individual, every family that's joined Poplar Spring is prayed for. And then the elders move into a time where we discuss any vision or direction that occurs or the concerns that are needed in the body. These can be major things like, are we going to go to two services? Are we going to build a building? 
That sort of vision and leadership comes from conversations that your elders are having. What kind of precautions are we going to take in a, in a COVID situation and in, in, in circumstances that we have today? How do we need to lead the qualifications, Acts chapter 20, or the, the functions, Acts chapter 20? How do we need to lead Poplar Spring to do what we've been called by God to do to accomplish our God-given mission that we're given in the scriptures? And then we discuss membership more broadly. We ask, are there any new members that need to be presented to the congregation? Are there any candidates for membership that need to go through starting point or to meet with an elder for their elder interview prior to membership? Are there uh, cases where there's church discipline taking place that we need to follow up on? So those broader questions concerning the body and the membership here at Poplar Spring. And I hope you're hearing a theme. Like even as I'm taking some time to walk through like really practically what our elder meeting looks like, I hope I'm doing that for a purpose because I'm, I'm hoping you're hearing your pastors and elders are functioning to shepherd you, to lead your souls, to, to lead you towards Christ. And it's primarily through prayer and the ministry of the word. Like that's what your elders are functioning and, and doing. Now let me contrast that for you in the time that we have left with what your deacons are doing. I'm getting this from, and just like Acts chapter 20, we looked at the function of an elder and what the elders were doing in Acts. You can turn to Acts chapter 6 if you want to see what the deacons are to do. This is a text, and it gives deacons their marching orders. Now, I should add also that Acts chapter 20 and Acts chapter 6 are not the only places where we see the function of elders and deacons. It's all over the New Testament. These are just two texts where we see it summarized in a real concise way. And so that's why I went to these two texts. But if you tease out the rest of the New Testament, you see these things repeated over and over again. So Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Hear the word of the Lord. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows, the Hellenistic widows, were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. That should sound familiar to you. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. And they sat before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This text gives us the prototype for a deacon. And what we see primarily are three things, and I'll give these to you uh, real quickly as we, as we wrap and put a bow on this topic. Um, three things that we see in the function of a deacon in Acts chapter 6. The first one is this, and this is probably the clear one that you noticed as well. They met specific needs to their specific local body, right? In Acts chapter 6, this, this need, this specific need arose for that body. In that particular case, in Acts in chapter 6, it was the distribution of food to widows, Right? Like that's a good and godly thing to do, to care for widows and, and orphans. And, and, and widows were being neglected. And the elders said, we need deacons that will care for and see to this very specific and practical need. Now, in this way, when you b- bring this over and apply it to our context, uh, the needs at our church may look different than the needs down the road. There are some churches that don't even have widows, right? Maybe they're a church plant, and and they they have 10 people, and so the needs in their congregation may not look like the needs in another church, and so deacons may serve a little bit differently, but the principle is the same. The idea is that they're available, they're ready, 
They're capable to grab any task that would enable the church to be fed the word of God, right? And so if a parking team is needed, a deacon does that so that the church can gather as the body of Christ, have a place to park. If there's snow covering the, the steps of the church, the deacon shovels snow so that the body can get into the building and gather to worship Christ. If we have an Easter service in a parking lot because of a worldwide pandemic, and there are 10,000 little details that have to be worked out, deacons work those out so that we can gather as the body of Christ. If we have to sanitize bathrooms and door handles because of a, a virus, then deacons take that and lead and organize that, that teams to do that specific tasks in specific local bodies. I'm incredibly grateful for our deacons because those examples I just gave you are some that they've done in the last several months. Praise God for faithful men that will take those tasks and say, let me handle this so that the word of God can be proclaimed. Second thing that deacons do, they meet specific needs in their local body. They support, number two, the ministry of the word. The men in Acts were certainly fulfilling a, a, a specific need. It wasn't just, though, for, for fulfilling that specific need. It served another end. Yes, they were supporting widows. That's a great thing. That's something we should be doing because it simultaneously it freed the elders to focus on the task of feeding the sheep, which they've been called to do. You see that in verse 4. Prayer and proclamation of the word. Elders were able to do that because the deacons were taking this other task. And when elders were not able to do that in Acts, the church began to be malnourished. Not just were widows going hungry. The church was going hungry because it, it was taking the preaching of the word away from the, the people of God. They were malnourished because they were not being fed. And so deacons were appointed to this end, to this task of freeing up the preaching of the word. What a beautiful picture for the church, right? That we would be fed, we'd be devoted to the word of God, and fully devoted to meeting the needs of, of one another in physical ways. What a picture of the church. Let me just offer this practical, maybe, application right here. If, if you want to gauge how well a church is doing at this, these distinctions how well deacons are, are doing this particular task, supporting the ministry of the word, just sit back and watch at our church or any other church that you may attend. Just watch on any particular Sunday what the elders are doing when they're, when they're gathered, when the body's together. Are they running around taking care of logistical things, technology, parking, parking situations, building concerns, plunging toilets, rolling up cables, getting tables and chairs out? Or are they nourishing the flock? Are they asking families, how are you doing? How's your walk with the Lord? Are you in his word? Are you being fed? What's the Lord teaching you? How are you being convicted of sin? If it's the former, then the deacons need to step up. If it's the latter, then the deacons are doing a really good job because they're freeing up the elders to do their task of the ministry of prayer and the word. Lastly, and the third thing we see deacons doing, or in the, in the text see deacons doing, is that they're unifying the body around the gospel. Acts chapter 6, physical needs of widows were being met, but there's a deeper spiritual issue at stake. The physical neglect of some widows, you see this in the text, this, 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 this turmoil that came up, the, the neglect of some widows was causing spiritual division and disunity in the body, right? Christians were beginning to complain against one another, grumble against one another, and so deacons were appointed to squelch that tension, right? The rising disunity in the church. It's teaching us that deacons strive to promote unity in the church. Whatever else they may be doing, whatever tasks they may be fulfilling, whether it's building and grounds or finance team, whatever they're doing physically, they function to, uh, to promote unity in the church. If a deacon hears gossip, rumors, or tensions, his duty is not to propagate it, but to squash it. Instead of, being attra instead of a, uh, attracting the church gossip, 
A deacon should be the very last person to be in the loop when church gossip is going around because he has a reputation of shutting it down, right? Like, if you're that kind of person, you're not hearing it, you're not going to entertain it, you're not going to uh, propagate some gossip or so, some rumor, then people don't come to you to tell you. It, it ends with, 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 with you. It never even comes to you because, it, because it's not going to be continued. And so that should be the reputation of a deacon. It, it never even comes to you because you promote peace and unity and you have a reputation for doing that. Now, I've taken you through a couple meetings already this morning, the, the hypothetical one that we started with, right? And hopefully shows us the function of elders and deacons. And then we, we walked through just a kind of a quick version of what we do as elders when we gather for a, a meeting every, every first Saturday. And, and, and for our deacons, though, the meeting that they have, the time that they come together, this is hopefully just to give you a picture of the, the functionality and how it works out. They come together and they report on these specific issues. Like, that's what they do when they get together. If you're a deacon, you know this. And if you've never been to a deacon's meeting, that's what happens. Walks around each deacon. And, and is there something you need to report on and as far as building is concerned, as far as finance is concerned, as far as mission is concerned? All of these different ministries that are being done at Poplar Spring, how are we doing in them? And how can we come alongside you, brother, and, and, and make sure that it continues to be done well? They're diligent in that. They're reporting on how they've freed up elders to be able to, to, to teach and to, to, to communicate the word of God, to feed the sheep. They're coming together and, and, and talking about how they've, they've led with, with peace and with unity. In the past, we've uh, assigned, it's been our practice here at Poplar Spring, to assign specific areas or tasks to deacons so that we're confident, or as confident as we can be, that those areas are being uh, cared for. So, so things like a finance deacon, or a building and grounds deacon, or uh, a, 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 a nominating team deacon, all of these things. And, and many of you maybe serve on those teams Right? Like you serve in those areas, building grounds, nominating, missions. And it's not saying we don't trust you that you're doing a good job. It's saying that we want to make sure there's a deacon there. That's an important thing. And he may not even lead that, that team. He might not even be the chairperson of that team. But we want to make sure this is happening because it's valuable. And it promotes the unity of, of the church. And it promotes the, the, the preaching of the word. And so that's what these, these, these individuals are doing. As we close, I, I don't want to lose focus of the why. Because we can get in the weeds and we can get caught up in the details and the practical application of all this and we can be tempted to forget why. And it's so important that we, that we, that we are focused, keenly focused on the why. Because here's the thing. It's the same reason that it's important for us to get gender roles right in chapter 2. And it's the same reason that it's right for us to get our prayer life right in chapter 2. It's chapter 2, verse 4. God desires all peoples be saved. And it's chapter 2, verse 6, that, that Jesus died as a ransom for all peoples. And so that means that we have pastors and we have elders functioning in these biblical ways because it's a part of our biblical God-given mission to take the greatest news in all of the world to all of the world, starting right here. And so we, we follow the scriptures here because we believe it would propel the gospel there. That's the point. That's the point. It's all going back to verses 4 and, 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 and 6 of, of, of chapter 2. This idea that, that we have these things in place because it's part of our mission. And, and, and it would be a shame that we would miss that this morning. That we would, we would hear a talk about all of this and how the church functions and how it operates and how its leaders cooperate together. And it's all for this singular uh, focused mission. And you not get to hear about the mission. And so here's, here's, here's what I want you to hear as we end and we're wrapping up. That this mission I'm talking about, that's so important, that we have nitty-gritty details in Scripture given to us in how we should function and operate. That mission is to get this truth to the entire world. That the Bible tells us that God is holy and he created everything that, that is, and it was good. And yet we chose 
in our rebellion and in our sinful hearts to sin against this God. And there's no small sin, friend, because there is no small sin against, uh, no small God to sin against. When you sin, it is against the infinitely holy God of the universe. And because of that, every sin must be punished. And there are only two options. Either one, you will pay the penalty of your sin for all eternity in a literal place called hell. That's a reality for folks that are here today and have not repented of their sins. Or the only other option is that he has paid your debt for you through his son's death on the cross. And that when Jesus rose from the dead, it was proof to us that that sacrifice of his life was accepted, that that payment was complete. And God says, it is finished. The sin that you sinned against me has now been paid for in Christ. And here's the thing, church. We only get that, and you know this as the church, as the body of Christ, we only get that applied to us when we come to him and ask for forgiveness and say, God, I acknowledge I'm a sinner. I have sinned against you, and I'm in need of forgiveness. I trust that Christ's death on the cross was in my place. We know that, church. We've experienced that saving truth. But here's the thing. If you've not done that, if you're here this morning and you've never done that, you've never asked Christ's death to be in your place, you've never repented of your sins and, and, and come to Christ on his terms through faith, would you do that today? That's the reason we have elders and deacons. That's the reason we, we uh, uphold these biblical genders that we see in chapter 2. That it's the reason that we would have a prayer life that's mandated to us in Scripture in the body of Christ. It's, it's all for this purpose. That we would see Christ magnified in the hearts of, of lost men and women and boys and girls all over this planet because King Jesus is worthy of that. And here's, here's the other thing too. You, you, you may be here today and, and, and you've never joined a church. Never knew why it was important. Never thought about it, really. You're in attendance, so that's good enough, right? You're hearing the word, that's, that's good enough, right? And maybe today, or maybe through the last couple of weeks, you've seen that, that you need to join and, and be a covenanted member of the body of Christ. Maybe it's Poplar Spring, maybe it's not. But here's the thing. Through this, you realize that, that, that you are needing someone, a pastor, an elder, who will lead you, who will care for you, who will protect, nurture you, who will feed you the word of God. And be responsible and held accountable to that. That's the other side of this, that this, this functionality of elders that I described to you, the, the scriptures say we will be giving an, an account for that. Those who will give an account. So your souls, these elders are being held accountable for before God. You say, if that's that serious, if God would hold men accountable to, to, to him for the shepherding of, of other individual souls, then I need that for my life. I need that sort of shepherding. I need that kind of care, that kind of accountability. And I need to join a church because that's what I'm missing out on. Come and talk to, to Pastor Michael or, or me or one of our elders this morning and just say, hey, I, I think that's where I'm at. I, I, need, I need watch care. I need to be shepherded. I need an overseer, someone who will care for my soul. Maybe you've been convicted that you need to serve, that you've been kind of sitting in the shadows and you need to be a diakonos. You need to serve the Lord. That's a call for all of us. So you come before the Lord and respond as he's convicted you today. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to observe communion together. Uh, and so let me pray, ask the Lord to apply this to our hearts, and then we'll, we'll, we'll go outside and observe communion together, which has been our habit since uh, this, this whole COVID thing. So let's, let's pray together.